Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church and stoked to be opening God's Word with you. It's a real shame we can't be in person, of course, but great that we can tune in online. And good on you for tuning in online. Uh, I think... It's so important for us to hear God's word at this moment when we're not connected together. Uh, it's, I, I'm no prophet, I'm no fortune teller, but it does feel like we might be in this place for a while. And so let's, let's stick together, Salt. Uh, we need God's help to fight sin. We need God's help to trust Him and deal with our doubts and our frustrations and our fears. And so let's help each other, Salt Church. Let's stay in touch with each other. Let's tune into every live stream. Instead of all the other things you could be doing, let's tune into this each week. Uh, as we start small groups again this week, let's jump onto Zoom. As annoying as Zoom is, let's jump onto Zoom so we can be connecting, spurring each other on as Christians uh, until restrictions lift and we can be face-to-face together as a church again. I have it, I pray, as we jump into God's Word. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much that you are good to us, that you know us. Lord, please take away any of the distractions that might stop us hearing from you this morning or today, whatever it is, whatever time we're tuning into this, Lord. Uh, Lord, please help us to hear you and know you and learn from you. Amen. Well, the year was 1993 and I had moved to Ulladulla from inner west Sydney and I was lonely. Uh, I'd moved for my dad's work and I was in a new city, a new school, and I didn't know anyone. And so I spent every lunchtime walking around the playground, hoping someone would say hi. And nobody did. For about two months. Until one day, Chris said hi. And he didn't just say hi, he invited me over to his house to watch a movie. And I was so stoked that I didn't even care the movie was Aliens. I was seven, I had nightmares for a week. But I was stoked because someone wanted to know me. I'm sure you know that experience in high school, the thrill that you get when you're picked for the team, when you're invited to the party or the sleepover, because someone recognized and valued you. Uh, Isn't it the best feeling when you're with a friend and they just get you? Uh, At the moment, we're isolated, we're in lockdown with the restrictions, we're at home at the moment. Does anyone know what you're going through? Does anyone else know what it's like you at home on your own? Maybe just you and your cats or something. You see, it's tragic when no one knows you. Because it's a powerful thing to be known. We feel secure, we feel loved, we feel valuable when people notice and know and care about us. It's actually an amazing gift from God to have someone that knows you. As a Christian thinker named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he once said, one friend is a generous gift from God. But how much better would it be if it was God who knew and noticed and cared about you? How much deeper would your sense of security and love and value be if it was God who knew you? That's what this psalm is about, Psalm 139. 
It's about what happens when God knows you and how you get that. And at the outset, I've got to say, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this psalm. It is stunning. It is so beautiful, this psalm. But after thousands of Instagram posts from Christians with, you know, butterflies and flowers and soft edge filters, it's just so cliche. It kind of makes me want to throw up a little bit in my mouth, you know? Like, let me show you this one example. Here's this bit here. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. I don't know what translation of the Bible that is. It's certainly none I've ever read. But like, doesn't that... Sorry if you're actually tuning in and you're the person who made that. Good job. Um, It makes you want to throw up in your mouth a little bit, you know? You know what I'm saying? If like me though... You're, we've got to clear that vomit from our mouth. We've got to get, turn off our soft edge filters and listen again to this psalm, if you're anything like me. Because God has something profound for us in this psalm. We'll discover what happens when God knows us and how we get that. So let's jump in. Uh, have a look with me. If you don't have it here, just Google. You can search Psalm 139. It'll come up. Uh, let's look through it. It says, verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, And you know me. This psalm is about God knowing us. It's a song written by King David. You'll see that at the very start for the director of music of David, a psalm. It's a song by King David, the the Christ, the king in ancient Israel in about the year 800 BC. It's a very old psalm, but it's still true. And there's four things here that King David, the Christ David, tells us about God and about him. The first thing is that God knows him. How does God know David? And how does God know you and know me? Not in general. uh, Not as kind of just raw facts. Not from a distance. Not in part. God knows us specifically, personally, intimately, completely look at verse one again you have searched me lord and you know me you know when i sit and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar every time you've ever sat down or stood up god knew verse three you discern my going out and my lying down you're familiar with all my ways Whether you're awake or asleep, God knows, God watches. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Before we know what we're going to say, God knows. God knows you better than you know yourself. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God protects us. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And wonderful there doesn't, doesn't mean that sense of like, oh, that's nice, that's wonderful. Now here's another translation. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. I am unable to reach it. See this here, what we're talking about here, this is God's omniscience applied to one person's life. Omniscience, what is that word? It's made up of two words. It comes from the Latin word omni, which means all, 
And the Latin word scient, which means knowing. It's where we get the word science from. Scient, science, knowing. A scientist knows many things, heaps of things. God knows all things. You see the power of God here. This is awe-inspiring. God knows all that there is to know. God has never been surprised by anything. God has never learnt anything. God knows you. Second thing, and the third thing, both of them together, God sees everything and God is everywhere. I look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Even if you wanted to escape from God, you can't. Wherever you go, God will already be there when you arrive. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness would not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. You can never be out of God's sight. You can never be beyond the reach of God's hands. It kind of reminds me of those Dad Saves videos that you see on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen them. This kid is about to wipe themselves out, but at the very last second, the dad just plucks them to safety with their hand. Verse 10, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This is two more things. This is God's omnis- omnispective and omnipresence applied to the life of one man. What do those words mean? Well, spectus comes from the Latin word to see. It's where we get the word spectacles, glasses. God is all-seeing. And present, I'm sure you know what present means. Can you see the power of God here? This is actually awe-inspiring. God sees everything. Everything. And there's no place in the universe where God is not there, where God is not in control. And God doesn't only see in the dark, as David keeps going, God sees life being made. Look at verse 13. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Or come to verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. If there ever was a time when you'd be out of God's sight, it's in the womb, isn't it? For weeks, your own mum doesn't even know that you exist. But God sees. More than that, God makes. Fourth thing, God makes us. God knits together a human life. God knows us. God sees us. God's with us. And God makes us. He knits together brings together this human life. And just in passing, if you're listening in and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you're kind of exploring church, exploring Jesus, it's verses like this that are why Christians have concerns about the way our states and our government have legalized abortion and, and some of the where they draw the lines on, on what's legal and what's not. Because uh, we as Christians believe that every life 
every human life is precious because God has made it. Because God creates each life and each human life starts at conception. Long before a baby's born, long before they take their first breath or they learn anything or they exist independently of their mum, it's a precious human life. Now, there's so much more to say about abortion, of course. It's, it's a complicated issue because the life of the child is precious, but the life of the mum and the dad, they're all equally precious. And we need to value and protect all of them. And Christians want to do that. Christians want to protect all of them because of parts of the Bible like this, which give God's perspective on what human life is and when it starts. Uh, end tangent. Come back to the psalm. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. From conception to every single day of your life, it's God's handiwork. God has made you. And this, another omni word, this is God's omnipotence applied to one person's life. Potent is the Latin word for power. On a tiny scale of one life, we see the power of the God who flung stars into space, who spoke the universe into existence. God has all power, unlimited power. Not a lot of power, more power than us. No, there's no limits to God's power. He has all power. Now, what's the message of this psalm? What's the payoff for reading this psalm? I think it shows us how these massive truths about God apply to us. God knows David and you and me, not in general, not as raw facts about us, not from a distance, not in part. God knows you specifically, personally, intimately, completely. And that leaves David, and it should leave us, in awe. Look at how David describes this in verse 6. He says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Look at verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And it's not wonderful like, oh, that's nice. No, no. This level of knowing is beyond us. God knows you, sees you, is with you, made you. Be in awe of God. I've never been to the Grand Canyon in the United States, but I'm told that it's awe-inspiring to go and visit, that, that when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're just overcome with wonder, amazement, astonishment, awe at the scale of the thing. Uh, the closest I've ever gotten to this, I think, is going to visit Uluru. Uh, I had a similar experience going to Uluru. It's a massive rock. It's this massive rock in the middle of nowhere. And it, for pretty well a whole day, you're driving towards Ayers Rock, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it fills your entire windscreen. Those are two tiny things that God made. 
the lives of the most successful and impressive humans who have ever lived are tiny things that God's made. This psalm leaves you in awe of God. It also leaves you wanting to know God more. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. See, David wants to know the God who knows him. God's thoughts, who God is, what God's done, what God's on about, they are precious and priceless. It is such a joy that God knows us. You know what's even better? That God lets us know him. That is so much joy. And the more that we learn and know about God, the more joy we'll have. Because what we learn is so practical. Our Christians have a word for this, for knowing God. We call it doctrine or theology. And that word sounds so dry, so detached from normal life and real life. But think about this. The doctrine of God's omniscience means God knows what it's like for you at home right now in isolation. That is so practical. And there is far more to learn of God than there are grains of sand on all the beaches, all the ocean floors combined. But over all of these things, I think it leaves us secure. Even if no one else ever noticed you, ever knew you, ever understood you, God does. He's always watching, always with you. God knows what isolation's meant for you. God knows your deepest longings and your hopes and your dreams. God's there when you're on top of the world and winning at life and when you're lonely and doubting and afraid. God shares each moment of your life. God knows you specifically, personally, intimately, completely. That gives such deep comfort and assurance and security. And interestingly, it also gives an insight into something that's happening in our culture at the moment. Uh, humans share this basic desire to be acknowledged and known. We, I think we all can agree with that. But in our culture at the moment, our culture's got a very different way of getting it compared to Christians. Because our culture has done something interesting. Our culture has linked being known with being approved of. Uh, to show that you value someone in our culture, you need to approve and endorse their life. And there's lots of groups that are asking us to prove that we value them by publicly, in our words and in our actions, publicly approving, endorsing their identity, their behaviors, their beliefs. And if we don't approve, well, how could they ever feel valued and recognized? And when people make passionate pleas like that, It's hard not to sympathize, isn't it? But it's actually a false connection that our culture's made or groups in our culture have made. Because I am known and valued and respected by many people who disagree with me and don't approve of my identity or my belief. And we're great friends. That can happen. That happens all the time. And Christians of all people know that we don't need the people around us to accept us. We don't need to force the people around us to approve of our lives. 
We don't need our culture to be with us. God accepts us. God knows us deeper than anyone ever could. So as we interact with our culture, help people see and feel that you value them, Christians, even as you disagree with them. And invite them to the deepest possible knowing that there is, the deepest place of security, to be known by God. Now I reckon, if I finished here, we'd probably all be pretty happy. But what about the end of the psalm? Uh, Maybe you felt this as Jess read it. Suddenly we get to verse 19 and things take a pretty serious turn. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Uh, I had a Christian mate who was at a funeral for his dad. And his family, they're not believers, not Christians, they asked him to read a psalm. And he picked this psalm. And they loved it. Except for verse 19. And the rest of it. And so they asked him to leave it out. And just read up to verse 18. And out of respect for them, he did that. But he felt so uncomfortable leaving it out. But then he felt so uncomfortable leaving it in the funeral for his dad. And don't you feel the same? Wouldn't the psalm be better if it ended at verse 18? Wouldn't it be great if we could just shape God's word? If we could shape God to be who we want God to be? As some people actually do this exact thing. They, they say things like, I like to think of God as... Dot, 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 and you fill in the blank. Maybe you've said that or thought that at times. I'd like to think of God as fill in the blank. I I feel like this is kind of like a beanbag God. Like it's a God where you squash down the bits that you don't like and you rearrange it until you're comfortable with that God. And I can relate to this. Part of me would love to be able to do this. Part of me would love to be able to create, to to shape God as I want God to be. Don't we all share that desire? But do you know the problem? God is not a beanbag. It doesn't matter how we'd like to imagine God to be. That God's fake. That God is a figment of our imagination. This God is And he's given us the privilege of knowing him. So what is God telling us here at the end of this psalm? Well, the end of this psalm shows us God knows you and that's dangerous. God knows you, sees you, is with you, made you. And that's terrifying if you're not safe with him. Verse 19 is a shock, I think, because we've got our soft edge filter on for the rest of the psalm. But there's hints of this danger all the way through the psalm. Let me show you. Come back to verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Do you know what searches? The spotlight in a prison. The spotlight on a police helicopter as it cuts through the darkness to hunt you down. Or verse 2. You know when I sit and when I rise. You have 0% privacy with God. This makes Google's privacy policy look soft, you know. Look at verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Including all our lies. Including all the words we've said to cut people down or betray people. 
including all the words we haven't said but wanted to. And I can keep going. God not only knows what's good in us, God knows the good, the bad, and what's ugly in you and in me. All our failures, the things that no one else knows, and we'd be horrified and so ashamed if they ever found out. God knows all of that too. That is terrifying. See, no wonder we want a beanbag God. This is not a comforting God, but it is the true God. This God's not a figment of our imagination. And that's where I think the end of this psalm fits. You can't pretend to be who you're not before the God who knows you, sees you, is with you, made you. And there is a group of people called the wicked, called the enemies of God. Are you one of them? Are you for God or against God? Because it's safe if you're for God and it's dangerous if you're against God. And the end of the psalm calls you and me to pick a side. David, he made his choice. He picked God's side. And that's what you see in verse 21. Have a look, verse 21. They speak, uh, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. See, God's enemies have become David's enemies. And this language, it is intense. I find it intense. But hating God, uh, being against God, rebelling against God, that's not a small thing, is it? We hate it with a passion when people misunderstand us or undervalue us. How much more of a problem when we do that with God? Of course God is hurt and furious about that. We're hurt and furious when people do it to us. How much more God when we do that to Him? Of course God is hurt and furious about that. How do you avoid that? How can God know us in all our failures, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and us be safe with God? Well, that's where it matters who wrote this psalm. I said at the start, this is a song from King David, the the Christ, the King of God's people. And this psalm is what the Christ knows about God and what God knows about the Christ. But King David is not the only Christ. He's not even the greatest Christ. The greatest Christ is the one that we know as Jesus, the Christ. What does Jesus do? Jesus is known by God, like David is known by God. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus makes God known to us. Uh, We read this in Matthew 11. Let me give you a sentence from it. It says, No one knows God the Father except the Son, And those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And that's what Jesus has done. He's made God known to us. Jesus is not only known by God, Jesus makes God known. Plus, Jesus makes us safe with God. Like David is safe with God. But Jesus is so much more. Jesus is safe with God. David is safe with God. But Jesus makes us safe with God. 
It's not only Jesus who's loved and safe with God. Jesus makes us loved and safe with God. So that even though, this is profound, this is mind-blowing, even though God knows and sees us in all our mess, he also sees Jesus' perfect life that was given to us. God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He sees it all, but he also sees Jesus' perfect life that was given to us. If you trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, this is an inspiring, comforting, secure place to be. This psalm is so beautiful. It's stunning. Because you're safe. You're safely known by God if you trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And from that place of security, as people who are loved and valued by God, we're ready. We're ready for the end of the psalm. We're ready to take a side with God against God's enemies. And now that we know more of God, we do that in Jesus. On the other side of the cross, we do that not by praying for the death of God's enemies, like David does, but praying for their forgiveness. Like how Christ said in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And just maybe one other thought on what's going on here, why this is here. I think partly this is what the Christ says. You get pictures in Revelation that kind of describe Jesus when he comes to judge people with some of this language because people have rebelled against the one true right king. But what do we do? We love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us as the people of the Christ. And now that we're safe with God, we're ready for God's search spotlight to expose us so that we can grow. Look at verse 23, end of the psalm. David says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we need God's help to know ourselves. We should have anxious doubts about our ability to see ourselves rightly. Because we are so aware, aren't we Christians, that there are offensive ways in us. And we need God's help to know ourselves, to see ourselves, and to be led. So we grow to be like the God who knows us. So we feel secure, loved, valuable when people notice and know us. How much better when God knows us. How much deeper our security. If you trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, what have we seen? We've seen that you are safely known by God. So let's be in awe of our God. And let's want to know God more. It's such a joy that God knows us, but it's even better that he lets us know him. Let's side with God and ask God to search us and lead us. And let's share this God with those who don't know him. Invite, urge people to the deepest possible knowing that there is, the deepest place of security there is, to be known by God. Because don't you want people to know our God? Don't you want people to be safe with our God? So that like David, like us, they too can say, verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, And you know me, specifically, personally, intimately, completely. Let's pray.
Father God, we give you so much thanks that you know us. You care about us. You've made yourself known in this psalm, in the Bible, and especially in your son, Jesus. We praise you that for that, God, that you care what happens to us. And we pray, Lord, for us Christians that we would live for you, that we'd be in awe of you, we'd be worshipping you, we'd want to know you, we'd be turning to you, that you'd be leading and growing us. And we pray, Lord, for those who are listening in who don't yet know you. Please, Lord, please have the mercy to show yourself and make yourself known so that those who are your enemies might become not just your friends, but your family. Amen.